I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Life, My Music with the governor, Alan Hudson, and me, the Gabby Cabby on SRB Radio for part two of our music and football podcast Oddie, how you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm good, yeah. Good. And um, firstly, we're going to crack into the show um, because we've almost done a show earlier today after at one o'clock in the morning you'd, you was thinking about another artist and another song because that's all you do. You, you love your music as well as your football. So we'll just briefly, before we get into it, just talk about your love and, and how you're connected with music while you were playing football? Well, I, I think it was the time. It was um, the time of the swinging 60s. I was a young kid at that time. The music was a big part of our life. You couldn't walk into a pub without there being a live singer and uh, coming across Frank Sinatra. They'd go and buy his album and Tony Bennett and all the great crooners. And then, uh, obviously... You know, I lived in the King's Road, but at a, at a, although I was a massive Beatles fan, uh, I can imagine what it like been like on Merseyside, you know, with uh, with the cavern and all that. I went down there years later uh, just to get the feel of the place, and uh, and, and I could only imagine, it was like, uh, it was a little bit eerie, you know, thinking that them boys played down there. I'd love to have seen them. But, uh, yeah, it was just music was a big part. Music uh, and football go hand in glove for me. Yeah, and... Also, with your autobiography, The Working Man's Ballet, music is a big part of that book and there are so many music references and that's why I want to do a show with you, a regular show with you, when you're talking about your life, your music, your anecdotes of the past and we'll talk about a little bit of future stuff as well. And I want to start in the present, but let's wander back to the past as well because a good friend of yours, uh, Don Shanks, is helping a good friend of his and yours, Stan Bowles. Stan faces an awful battle against Alzheimer's and recently Don did the New York Marathon uh, for Stanley and also Steve Flannery and the boys and girls at Crystal uh, Crystal Palace at Queen's Park Rangers. They've done a a minute's applause for Stan. They've got calendars for Stan and everybody's working so hard for Stan and it's a shame that Stan doesn't, probably know everything that's going on at the moment and a, a band that you're really into with the Hollies and I put it up before that he ain't heavy he's my brother and it's a little bit like what Don's done he, he's he's picking his brother up and he's, he's carrying him over and, and helping him in his hours of need isn't he? Well yeah I mean it's, it's a wonderful thing what Don's done is as you say he's a, we're great we're great pals I, I've known the, the two boys uh since the White City days at the Dogs, that's where we all got together. That was our kind of uh, meeting place on a on a Thursday night, White City, and I got to know them. And I knew they was, I mean, they were, I don't know how to 
put what category you put them in because they were they were the, they were like two peas in a pod. I mean, football and I mean with them with me it's football and music and I I, I do love a gamble myself. But with them it was everything. There had to be a, a a football football bet somewhere along the line, no matter what they done. And um, they told me John told me some wonderful stories about the things they got up to betting in big matches that wouldn't got away with today. Yeah. Uh, you know, they you read about them on the paper today, and it's very, you know, it's petty compared to you know what him and uh, Don used to do, uh, what him and uh, Stanley used to do. Um, um, my favourite story he told me was one night they're playing it. Um, we used to have the Wembley Five Sides, the London or the London clubs, and it was great to play in and you know pit your wits against you know on a different level. And I loved I loved the five side football. Anyway, QPR were in it, and they were favourites. And uh, it was around the time when um, other clubs who were at Tottenham, all the big clubs were in Europe, and they were away on. So they fielded all the young youngsters in their team. So Don and Stan had got together. They'd gone down the betting shop. They said, "Well, look, we've we've we got to be certainties to win this." So they they went down the betting shop and they had a bet. They backed themselves to win it. Uh, and uh, Stan said to him, "Well, look, you know, just in case, who, who, who's the danger?" He said, "Well, Millwall, they got a good side. They're, they're not in Europe, you know. They had the likes of Keith Weller there, and uh, who played for us." Um, he said, "Well, we'll have a saving bet on them anyway." It goes to cut it short. It comes to the fight. He said, "Stan was absolutely out this world all night. He was." turning his mark or I was getting it off Phil Parks just knocking it into him and he was just crucifying everyone they played against and they got to the final and uh, just before their coach was talking to them about the final and then they just looked at each other and they, they kind of made a sign you know how you know how do we benefit if we win and how much how much do we get if they win and uh, obviously, uh, Millwall won the game because they got more if Millwall won. So that was uh, that was what they used to get up to. These two blokes, you know, they were they were everything they did. Mate, he did it again. It, uh, it uh, QPR won at Newcastle one day in a big game. McDonald played and uh, for Super Mac played for them. And Stan said, Don't you "Back us, I'll, I'll score," which he did. And uh, Don had to stay overnight to get the money on Monday morning because he couldn't come back with it. They couldn't pay him out. So the, that's that's what they got up to. And, and for him to go into a New York marathon is something else for him, really. And, and as you say, the song just epitomises it. And you've got a wonderful story about the, the lead singer, Alan Clark, who, not Alan Clark, the football player, Alan Clark, yeah. the musician and the singer, had two L's in his name, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't drink with Alan Clark, the least player, that's for sure. Um, but uh, no, I was, uh, I was, I was in Barclays Square in a in a, a place in Barclays Square one day years ago. I, I think I was playing for Arsenal in the seventies, and uh, uh, I was. We walked into, a, we we'd been in an office there, and then we come down, and we went down to the pub downstairs. And as we were walking in the pub, Alan Clark was walking by, and I. I I went to talk to him and he was a nice kind of fellow. I said, I'm a great fan of yours, which it was, him and Graham Nash. And uh, I said, can we buy you a beer? And he went, no, no, it's all right. Anyway, about three hours later, he felt uh, 
no, he fell out of the pub and like, we had to put him in a taxi. So that was, uh, that's a Holly's, uh, I'm, I'm surprised he, he could sing after that, but he went on to do, still went on to do great things.
how how good a, a band were they? I mean, they 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 were great, wasn't they? They they were one of the iconic bands of what the probably the late sixties, early seventies. The air that I breathe and bus stop. They they performed such great songs, didn't they? The Hollies. Yeah, I mean, when you think that there was unlike today, yeah. I mean, there's loads of groups about today. I put the TV on and. These groups come on. I've never heard of them, and I wouldn't listen to their music. But mm. uh, there was such quality in them days. I mean, uh, I mean, from Manchester to Liverpool to London, uh, the Tim, from the Tim Pan Alley down here. I mean, the 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 amount of groups in and solo artists was just incredible, and the standard was just uh, just absolutely amazing. And you know. Uh, if you could do a show with Elton John and talk about his early years in the trade and where he got all all his inspirations from, I think it would be a wonderful show because, uh, you know, I can tell a story from my end, but to to actually be in a recording studio and with these kind of people it must have been quite fantastic, you know. Now, we're going to talk about Elton John in a minute, but Beans, as you're talking about record studios, you were in a record studio in the 70s, because when you got to the League Cup final in 1972, you recorded Blue is the Colour, and Peter Osgood also sang, and I've got a YouTube clip, uh, and I've put it up on your Facebook page as well, of uh, this is Alan Hudson, uh, here's Peter Osgood with Chirpy Chirpy Cheap Cheap. So... Briefly talk me about them days and the the white jumper that you wore while you was recording those songs. Well, they they were uh, that was just before, as you say that was before we played in the League Cup and uh, 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 there was a fellow called Larry Page uh, who who got us all together and he, he had this idea. I remember Stoke years later when I signed for Stoke they had their own. They had their own song, which didn't compare compare with ours. Uh, I think Tony Hatch and Jackie Trent done theirs. Uh, they were big in the music business, but we had Larry Page who put ours together, and uh, it was it was quite fantastic, really, because we the day we went into the music uh, into the studio, we all, all met in uh, a Soho in a in a bar in Soho, and then we bought a load of beer and we took it into the studio. But on the way up, you know. I think they just come out of the studio was uh, the brothers Gibb, you know, who I was a great big fan of it at that time as well and still are, you know, and uh, it was quite amazing. We got number five in the charts. Had we beaten them in the final, I think we'd have, went, we'd have been a number one. I'm, well, I'm almost certain it kind of dropped off when we got beat. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, I can only say that the Bee Gees didn't get in the top 20. So... You know, I should have stopped them and given some advice on what they were, where they were going wrong, really. And they could have possibly give me some advice, you know, after losing to Stoke. So, you know, it's just, just fine, mar- as they say today, fine margins. But they were great times. And uh, Osgood, like always, fancied himself. No matter what you do, he could do better than anyone else. And, uh, yeah, Chubby Chubby, he, 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 he put over a good number there, Os. But was you not going to sing it originally and then your dad, didn't you wet Alan's head or something? Was that right? Yeah, that yeah. he threw me out of recording studio. He said I was a disgrace. <laughs> but uh, and that was entitled. I, he should have patted me on the back, really, because I did well turn up because, uh, <laughs> yeah, my son was born the night before and I went out with my best friend, Leslie May, and uh, and funny enough, um, Terry Mancini was playing for QPR at that time. And we we were down in my local pub, and we were we were at Young Alan's head, and uh, 
uh, we was in a mess, you know, and uh, and it kind of rolled into the next day. And Ozzy said, "Look, you better go outside. You're, you're disgraced." Now, if he'd have told me I was disgraced on the football field, I could understand it, but not in the recording studio, you know, because it was just a lot, just one big uh, ball of fun, really. So says the player, who who in nineteen. 19- at 71, he's sitting round the pool with loads of beer and he tells a young Alan Hudson, go to bed, son, have an early night because you're going to do all my running while he's having a few sherbets. Well, absolutely. I was I was walking I was walking off an injury that I yeah. got the night before because we played the, the game on a Wednesday and as Chelsea supporters know at that time, they, they didn't know what to do. The, again, the, the powers of be didn't know how to, what to do uh, because we was already in Athens, they said, well, what we might as well do, we might as well stay over for another night and play the replay, which was scandalous, really. Mm. And uh, I, w- I went out, I got a bit of a knock on, on my thigh, and I went out down the Athens flea market to walk it off and jumped in a cab on the way home, and I passed the Athens Hilton, thought I must have a look in there, see what's going on in there, and uh, there they were, lo and behold, it was good, Tommy Baldwin, Charlie Cook and a good friend uh, from Chelsea, John Johnny Fennell, was sitting around, and uh, I've never seen so much booze on a on a table. You know, I mean, I, it would have what would have been really funny was if the Real Madrid uh, coaches had walked in and see three of our players that had played the night before sitting there, obviously out of their nut. And uh, Oscar said to me, "I said, Oz, I said, we we you know we didn't win it last night. We actually drew. You do know that." <laughs> And uh, we've got the replay tomorrow. He said, you, you just go home and go to bed. He said, because you can do my running tomorrow and uh, I'll score. And he scored. So uh, you can't argue with that confidence. But although Oz was the, the king of the bridge, it was you who introduced Oz to almost everything. The clothes, the fashion, the restaurants, the limelight. You, you, you... You almost sculpted us into the the creation that everybody saw. Well, yeah, I mean, Oz was um, he had a, a wonderful uh, way about him. Wherever he went, whatever he done, he knew everything about everything. <clears throat> he even for Royal Windsor. He come from Windsor. He was a he was a brickie, wasn't he? And they give him a trial, yeah. and his, his uncle sent him, and they give him a trial, and he he become the king of Stamford Bridge, but uh, I'd still say that when they, he thought that they named Royal Windsor after him, and I say, it's not after yours, it's, it's because of Windsor, it's a royalty, isn't it? It's, no, he, he used to think they named it Royal Windsor after Peter Oscar. Everything he done was, you know, had to be big. Yeah. Um, and then I had to dress him, and I had to take it, you know, show him all the places to go, his favourite restaurant, best restaurants, I introduced him to everything. Uh, but he would still, he would always try and get one over me and say it was where he, you know, he invited me and yeah. it was the other way around. But I let him I let him get away with it because I loved him and uh, on the field, I don't think Chelsea, we, could, we couldn't have done what we'd done without Peter Osgood. I don't think they could have done what they did without you, without Charlie and without all those unsung heroes as well. But you're right, he was the king of the bridge but you introduced us to um reg the t-boy as well didn't you in 1969 well i in, i introduced him to his music but i was, I was again osgood was he was not very uh, music in, in uh, orientated he, he, he was uh as i say he knew everything about everything but he didn't really know too much about 
much. Um, and I just said to him one day, because I was his roommate at, at that young age, and uh, I said, "Mate, you got to get you got to get this album of this new singer called Elton John." So anyway, it it kind of went over his head, and we're sitting there one night. We played at Everton, and we're in Merseyside, and we had dinner, and we went to bed, and. Uh, as soon as we got in bed, just switched the telly on and who's, who's there but Elton. And I said, Oz, you ain't going to believe it. I said, this is the fella that I'm telling you about. You'd listen to his voice. He said, that's not Elton, Johnny. He said, that's Reggie. So I said, what do you mean this way? He said, yeah, he works. At, he's a T-boy down the recording studio where Ron Harris, his wife, works. And they, we, they used to go up there and uh, visit Ron's wife just to have a look round and Venables, George Graham, all that little team, you know. And uh, Reggie was a T-boy, and Venables uh, being the, the white boy that he was at that time, and still is, said, you know, sent him out to get some tea and sandwiches this particular day and kind of ordered him. Uh, and then years later, when Reggie became Elton, uh, and was big time, met him at a party one night and was in the second I introduced you to him, he said, Reggie said, we've already met and he says, uh, and you can go over there and get me some champagne. So, which was a nice touch. So he, he'd become Elton. And, and I mean, he, I, I love Elton John and I just love the, just love the way he is. And, and not only his music, where he, where, where he's come from, his background, everything, and how, how he approaches everything. And I, on this show the other night, he just loves helping other people to improve their music and he loves working with them i i, I think you know as a footballer I, I was the same with kids playing i used to help kids after training or whatever just trying to improve them and he's the same in music terms it's a little bit funny this feeling inside I'm not one of those Who can easily hide I don't have much money But boy if I did I'd buy a big house Where we both could live If I was a sculptor but then again, no Or a man who makes potions in a traveling show I know it's not much, but it's the best I can do My gift is my song, and this one's for you Tell everybody This is your song It may be quite simple But now that it's done I hope you don't mind I hope you don't mind That I put down the words How wonderful life is While you're in the mall 
but a few of the verses. Well, they've got me quite cross, but the sun's been quite kind while I wrote this song. It's for people like you that keep it turned on. So excuse me for getting, but these things I do. You see, I've forgotten if they're green or they're blue. Anyway, the thing is, what I really mean. Yours are the sweetest guys I've ever seen. Tell everybody This is the song It may be quite simple But now that it's done I hope you don't mind I hope you don't mind What I put down in the words How wonderful life is While you're in the world You don't mind, I hope you don't mind that I put down in the world How wonderful life is while you're in the And there's a great story about uh, Hearty at the party where Elton put Russell Hearty in his place and you gave him a little bit of advice about playing at Wembley. Yeah, but that was, uh, that was a, quite something as well because, you know, the, around the time it was... We'd, we'd, me and Baldy, we'd just played against the Germans, as I say, and uh, we'd upset Don Revy by winning and playing well. And... Uh, we were walking through the like the walkway where you go to the private boxes, and uh, Paulie said, "I want to go." I think we, I think he was looking for Stan Flashman. I think, uh, I think Stan had a box up up there at that time, and and we bumped into David Foss, and David, you know, said hello to Alan, and I'd never met him, and and he invited him to his home uh, on, on the following Saturday night after the the, the Royal Ascot meeting and uh, he said well I'll come along if I he used to call me the maestro he said if I can bring the maestro and so he said of course he said yeah it'd be a pleasure to have you both there so we were driven there in a big Rolls Royce by my friend Danny Gillum pulled up at the door and you know um, we'd still we're still on a high from Royal Ascot we hadn't been in bed for a couple of days and uh in you know Michael Kane was there. You name them, they were all all there. You can imagine you know, the David Frost party. And uh, I walked into the kitchen, and then in walked Elton. Uh, and the first person he, he flew out was Russell Hart. He said that something must have happened. I don't know whether he'd been on one of his shows or they'd been out or whatever. But uh, it, it become quite heated, and uh, we had to calm Elton down a bit. And Elton had his tennis gear on his. Uh, his uh, tennis racket under his arm. It was quite quite humorous, really. And uh, the following day, he was playing at Wembley, and I said, you better be good tomorrow, because it's my birthday. 
um, and he asked me what it was like to play there, and I I give him a bit of advice. I just said, uh, special people, it's a special place for special people, and I said, I think I think you'll be okay. And I think the Beach Boys, the Eagles were on first, and then the Beach Boys were on after, and Elton come on and done his Captain Fantastic album. Uh, great showman, great showman. So yeah, he did ask for my advice, and uh, which he didn't need really. And Terry Venables, um, arguably one of the best England managers that that we've ever had, or could, certainly could have gone on and been the best. Yeah, yeah, it was just uh, it was unfortunate for Terry that at that time when he we had probably our, our best team uh, in '96 when we went so close. You know, but again, like '66, we you know we played all our games at Wembley, but we still had. You know the the great players in that team. One of my all time favourite players was Teddy Terry Teddy Sheringham. Yeah. Uh, he had uh, Shearer up front with him. I'd play just off him uh, around that time, and of course uh, Gascoigne was at his very best. Uh, so you know, with them three in the team, you got half a chance. Uh, but I think Venables had the right idea. He done what most England managers never did. And that was pick the best players, and that was his, that was his approach to it, and uh, it proved to be the key to his success at the time. But it was at a bad time because I I believe he was having court battles with Alan Sugar at the time yeah. at Tottenham, and the FA didn't want to know. I mean, uh, as bent as the FA are, they they got the audacity to turn Venables away. They have the audacity to uh, tell every England manager what to do as well, unfortunately, and I th- I think that's replicated now under uh, a player that played for uh, Terry and missed the, the, the penalty and went on and done that pizza advert and that's Gareth Southgate because Wayne Rooney's coming back for a cheap cap um, personally I think it's an absolute disgrace it devalues an England cap an England game and you should earn that cap on merit and I think when you look back and yourself in particular only got two England caps because Revy didn't like you and Sir Alf Ramsey banned you for three years I think it's a disgrace against football well, I, I remember years ago, uh, my very, very good friend, Jeff Powell, on the Daily Mail, he, he, he's, he's in one of, uh, I could say, he wasn't really an inspiration, but it was one of the reasons I wanted to, you know, write. And, uh, you know, if I could take a leaf out of any one book, it'd be his. But I remember him doing a piece about uh, the David Beckham situation when they wanted to get him as many caps get him his hundred caps and as many as he he could get and they were bringing him on for the last five minutes in matches and 10 minutes he got a cap for that and uh and jeff wrote about when bobby moore got his hundred caps you know there was i don't know if there was any substitutes but he mentioned billy wright billy wright got 100 caps there was no substitutes at all then you had to play the 90 minutes to get a cap or unless you got injured, that is. Uh, so it just makes a mockery of it now, and the, it makes uh, it, it devalues the cap. Uh, it cheapens what it is. Uh, I mean, how can you say you got a cap for coming on for five minutes, uh, as as just as Beckham was doing at that time? I think I think that was an embarrassing situation, and it could only it could only happen in England. It wouldn't happen in another country. No, I'm talking about Bobby Moore. Um, you had a great Bobby Moore story um, about Jack Jones, haven't you? And I, b- I believe that was uh, back in your times in America. Well, uh, 
no, the one the thing with Jack with, with Bobby and Jack, I, I remember it just so happened that going into shows, Bobby was used to love his music as well, and uh, he, w- he would go to these shows and. Um, uh, this this one particular night, I I was invited. It was in Victoria, I think, the Victoria Odeon, and uh, I I was a big Jack Jones fan. And uh, I walked in one night, and someone recognised me, and I said, I I like to go and meet this fella. And obviously, he, he took me backstage, and I was introduced to him. And but before he introduced me, I, he was standing with Bobby, and uh, you know, there was like two people, two really good looking fellas in Mac both immaculate. I mean which don't you don't see today. You don't you don't see this kind of thing today. They they were both iconic figures as well. Jack Joan obviously was well known for his father. You think his father done Donkey Serenade or something was famous for that. But Joe, Jack Jones had a marvellous voice. And at that time he was uh, he was dating Susan George uh, one of our leading actresses as a young girl. So, uh, but he was a wonderful fella, and uh, they were the kind of so that that's another thing about music. That were the kind of circles we mixed in, which was fantastic. You know, you'd never be disappointed. And uh, another circle that you, who was it, another person who was in your circle rather in them days was uh, was Dusty Springfield, and that was a case of if only for you, wasn't it? Looking back. Yeah, that was one of my great, great regrets of all time. Um, I, I was very, very good friends. Uh, we used to have a, a, a good player at Chelsea who went on to manage Brighton and play at Fulham, a fellow called Barry Lloyd. And uh, he lived over in Hayes near the uh, London airport and he invited me to a party one night around Frank's, Frank Allen's house, who was the lead singer of The Searches. And I just got on like a house on fire with Frank. We'd become good friends and... Uh, it was from there. Uh, it was there on on that particular night when I was introduced to Peter Wingard, who was then uh, uh, Jason King. Jason King, of course. Yeah. And uh, from there, it kind of escalated. And then one night, he, he said to Frank, said to me, "How do you fancy going out with uh, Dusty one night?" So I said, "What do you mean?" I thought he was pulling my leg and. Uh, he said, no, he said, to, you know, I think you should take her out for a drink. She she, she needs to get away from him. She's a bit depressed um, and she needs a bit different. Bit different. And I, I mentioned your name. And she said, oh, yeah, I'd like to meet a footballer. And uh, um, I was going to take her to my favourite restaurant in the King's Road. And uh, my friend, my best friend at that time was a fellow called Tony Frew, and he was used to stay down with me from because he lived in Stevenage, and he'd stay over to save him getting the train back home. And I said to him, look, we, we go down the King's Road, but as soon as Dusty walks in, you've got to disappear. You've got to go back home. So because I'm taking her down uh, Alexander's. So he said, no problem. Anyway, I waited all night, and anyway, Dusty never turned up. And uh, I just, I don't know, I didn't know what happened at the time, but I did find out later that my mother... A, a, a Rolls Royce pulled up outside our prefab, and the chauffeur got out, come to our side door, and asked for me. And my mother t- you know, made out that she didn't know me. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether she was frightened of the, uh, because my they, my parents were very tried to be very protective, and uh, she wouldn't. She, did, she didn't really like the thought of me being. Uh, 
sit in the in the newspapers being involved with uh, Dusty Springfield because obviously a relationship with um, Madeline Bell and everything else, you know. Um, but it turns out that Frank uh, went on national radio and said that I, I, I bottled it. He said, uh, otherwise, uh, you know, there could be a little, little. well, he wouldn't be a little child now. He'd be a, yeah. a grown-up, he'd be a young man. You know, it would be our baby because that's what she wanted. She was desperate to have a child. And uh, I think that night might have led to it. But you were also a big, big fan of Dusty, and you still are today. And um, I just don't know what to do with myself. And I mean, what a great title! Because in our life, at some time, we don't know what to do with ourselves, do we? Well, absolutely. I think you know every every song tells a story, yeah. doesn't it? You yes. know, um, and and in her case. Uh, I've read her book, you know, uh, Mary O'Brien, and she was, I think she was going through one of her bad, bad moments. She, you know, she was kind of depressed and everything else. And uh, it was a sad story, but I see her perform one night with uh, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. I see her on telly with those kind of fellas and they, everybody loved her. And she just had a wonderful, wonderful voice, but, uh, you know, she was up there with Streisand and everybody else. I mean, she she's a, just so talented. But I think she had a, a chink in her armour, and I, I think that was her upbringing. Uh, she had a, a bit of a strange upbringing, but uh, she was a beautiful woman and had, a you know, a beautiful voice. So uh, it would have been such a pleasure to take her to dinner, number one, if even if it stopped there, you know? Yeah. And every time she did walk in the room, she'd turn heads as well, wouldn't she? Literally, oh yeah, she was. She she actually was a yeah, a really good-looking woman. I just don't know what to do with myself. Don't know just what to do with myself. I'm so used to do. Just don't know what to do with my time. I'm so lonesome for you, it's a crime. Going to a movie only makes me sad. Parties make me feel as bad when I'm not with you. I just don't know what to do. Like a summer rose It's a sun and rain Why need you sweet love To be all okay. I just don't know what to do with myself I just don't Like a summer road 
but um, sadly, like with most superstars, it, it all went yeah. all went the wrong way, and uh, it was a very sad ending. One but, thing. Um, sorry, Al. No, go on, Paul. Yeah, well, I was going to say one thing that did go the wrong way for another um, artist that that you're really into um, was he was a, a failed footballer or he didn't quite make the grade but he certainly went on to hit the headlines as one of Britain's greatest entertainers well I, I you know I was very um, I don't say fortunate but I didn't know about him at the time yeah. because he was a young kid but uh, I was to learn because my I had a good friend in Stoke when I was playing my best football in the mid-70s. I had a, a very good friend up there called Billy Bratt, who was, ended up uh, becoming chairman of Port Bell. Uh, and I asked him to give me the job one day, and he didn't want to know. I said, well, look, I, do, I do it for expenses. They were struggling. You never got any money, and there'll never be a football club, uh, which is sad because of where they are and uh, what they're up against. But uh, anyway, they got the... He was telling me this day, they they... They were building the Robbie Williams bar there and everything else. So he took me round to show me and everything else. And anyway, Robbie was a, a big, big. He was a fanatical football fan, and that's what he wanted to become. And uh, it wasn't just so long ago I went to Stoke and uh, I explained to his father because his father was a big fan of mine, and he he was shouting about it, the best thing Stoke have ever had and this that. And the other. I said no, just. It was, as I said, it was a toss of a coin who was the best thing Stoke has ever seen, me or your son. And uh, I said, you don't know how lucky he was not to become a, for him not to become a footballer, because uh, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have seen the real talent. Um, I mean, you can't think. I mean, it's something that w- would pass us by. But, but the the, foot, the music world without Robbie Williams wouldn't be, you know, real. I think he's a phenomenon. And one of the great songs that um, you would always associate with Robbie Williams is, is Angels, of course, and a, a song that's um, a big favourite of yours as well, Al. Yeah, well, uh, the, one of the reasons, I mean, I love the song full stop, but um, when I heard he wrote it laying in bed one day, just twiddling his thumbs, and he wrote it in about 10 minutes, uh which these people can do, which actually astounds me. Um, and then you listen to it and the way he puts he's not only a singer and that pe- people don't understand, he, he writes his songs, you know. Um, he's just a great entertainer and, a, and a, a total genius when it comes to putting putting words down and music and put the music to words. And uh, another one I love of his as well, when he goes completely the other way, is Me and My Monkey. I mean, we've, we've had so much fun with that song over the years, uh, when it when he really goes the other way, because uh, he can bang it out as well as, as do the lovely melodies. He's certainly come a, a long way from um, almost being a, a dancer in Take That. And, and I think that that's pretty much why... He left Take That and went on his own because, you know, people like that want to do their own thing. They want to be the centre of, of attention. And, and I think in, in that group, he wasn't. But he, he used that situation to better himself. And he's, he's gone on to be to be one of arguably one of our all time greats in many, many minds. Well, I think a lot to do with that, a lot to do with that side of it was, I think his his mother was very influential in his life. Yeah. He, uh 
and uh, she was a great Sinatra fan. I, th- I think that's why he done the the Sinatra show, singing all the Sinatra songs, which was quite impressive. And uh, I think one of his favourite songs was a Sammy Davis, uh, Mr. Bojangles. Yeah, he, he does that very well. Mm. But that I think that side of his life, that musical education, also puts him in good stead for 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 love songs. Uh, but I mean, the kid is just incredible um i've seen him on in certain concerts and i just i've met him a couple of times when i when he, when i've been out and he's just a joy as well you know he's got no edge to him uh he's a superstar without showing it you know and um i don't know many people around the world who can say that they they could match him you know yeah but the one thing that you love in in the music as well is 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 the creation, whether it be the Bee Gees, whether it be Alton John. I mean, writing that that song for, uh, for was it Disney for for the Lion King, you know, and and the the the, the diversity of of these people and the fact that they write these songs and like in terms of of Alton, we burn it up and they they write it and put the music to it. And when you look at that creation from a blank canvas, it's absolutely unbelievable, isn't it? What they achieve and great music music well absolutely i mean elton you know i mean he can move the goalposts anywhere wherever he wants he, he, he can just do anything and uh, uh even even the song like he's, he's changed the words a candle in the wind and all that to for, for princess diana and he was very very clever man as well because he he become good friends with her and that helped him uh on the side of the marriage thing um when you know that give him a lot of power to his elbow but uh, he deserves it i mean uh, what a lot of people tend to forget is the kind of money they bring into this country as well for their music yeah. and um you know we are we are very fortunate because we're known throughout the world for being uh, musically the best in the world and uh, we tend to forget that a lot of people tend to forget that i mean we've had the best groups and the best singers the only thing the Americans can beat us at is uh, the crooners with uh, in Sinatra's day, really. Mm. They had so many of them that they were, you know, like that mafia figures. They um, also have a lot of great soul artists in America. And um, one soul artist that, that you love, uh, George Benson, who was a, a favourite of mine as well. The greatest love of all, and there's a, a great, great story behind that wonderful song uh, in your bar, in your house in uh, in America, isn't there? Yeah, my, uh, I used to have a good relationship with my, my then boss, uh, Alan Hinton, the, the former, well, your, your name up there in the Midlands. He was a great player for Derby and started his career at Wolves, I think, at Nottingham Forest. Uh, uh, a great left winger. Uh, and he ended up becoming my manager in Seattle and we become very close. Uh, we were good friends, uh, had a lot of respect for one another. Uh, I loved uh, working with him and uh, I'd always, I've had many parties around my house, I had my own bar and my friends would come around and Alan would come around and the, the night I put George Benson on singing The Greatest Love of All, he, he was just blown away. And it was it probably brought a lot of memories back because he he lost him and uh, his missus. They lost a, a child when it was very young, 
and I think this this song brought back a lot of memories. And he said, "Al, he said, uh, why have you never introduced me to this before?" I said, "Well, I, I, mate, you you know you've got to come around here more often, you know. But we we got to go work, you know. We must got to try and keep ourselves fit." Uh, but um, no, it, 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 that kind of hit home to me of how good the song really was. Although although I knew it, for him to say that because he he wasn't. He wasn't one of those people that I mean we'd we'd go out later on today and we'll be talking about great great who was the best musicians and things like that. But Alan wouldn't be in that category. But he heard that song and it just blew him away, you know. So it shows you how good he was. And George Benson was a fant- another fantastic artist.
but that's what again music does doesn't it because it blows you away and when you listen to the lyrics and and again knowing you your your love of music it's 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 very similar to mine we differ slightly where you are more down to crooners and i'm more like paul weller um, and bands and stuff but we both share very similar uh, taste for for our love songs and and i think that that comes from both of our backgrounds because you know it's it's about the song it's about the lyrics and whenever we we talk on the phone there's usually air supply on there or chicago or super tramp and you have a wonderful taste in those type of of songs yeah i think um yeah, I go far afield. I can, uh, you know, I, I love the Willie Nelsons of this world. And, I mean, uh, up in Birmingham, you've got one of the great, greatest artists of all time in Jeff Lynne. I mean, he's something else as well, a VLO. And I've, I've spent a lot of time playing his music. In fact, uh, when I was playing for Stoke the second time around, uh, Keith Burchin was playing for us. And I was very friendly with Keith, still am, still am. And, uh, and he said he he was out. He used to live around the corner from Jeff Lynne, and he he was talking about his days at Stoke, and he he was talking about me and Jeff. Jeff Lynne said I'd like to meet him. He said, uh, yeah, it, I don't know how much he knew about football, but it, it never came to ne- never came to fruition. But um, I'd love to have met that man because the the way they all talk about him, the travelling Wilburys and all that, they he was a genius behind all that. And when you think who they had in there, the, the likes of Roy Orbison, who was unbelievable, you know, even Bob Dylan and George Harrison and um, Tom Petty, whoever. And, and he was the brains behind that. So that's how good he was. He also remastered, reproduced a lot of the Beatles songs as well, didn't he, Jeff? He's, he's very good on the production side as well as... And I think if you look at an ELO song, I think it's layered and layered and layered. And I think he was the brains behind the, the, the production for uh, some of their greatest songs that, that again sent round the world from the city of Birmingham and he, he is noted for being a big big blues supporter and a football supporter so yeah. I, I don't doubt for one minute that he was a massive fan of yours and would love to have, have, have met up with you for a beer but um, unfortunately that day didn't arrive No, just another dusty situation only I, I wouldn't have had a baby with Jeff I don't think but uh, no but uh, I've, I've seen, uh, seen and heard about him I mean I've seen a show about uh, Jeff Lynne and it, it, it says that any any of the big stars that needed help on any of their music, he, they would just go round to his house and he's got his own recording studio and he, he's got every sound in the world there is and he's just an extraordinary man on that front and someone I'd, you know, I would lo- I'd love to have met and gone around his house and see the way he works I mean, it would be incredible and I and I loved the, his music in ELO, I mean, fabulous I mean, uh, ahead of his time uh, and I know why you're saying about the Beatles and what he'd done with the Beatles you know, the Beatles were a little bit the same, you know, songs like A Day in the Life and all that uh, all, all a bit weird but, you know, all true and then when you uh, when you come back from um, from Seattle, um, you there was this Swedish person uh, about. Um, you loved ABBA, another great super band, and uh, and, and a song that uh, sits with you: "Money, Money, Money, Gimme, Gimme, Gimme," and of course, yeah. "Winner Takes All" to uh, Don Revy. 
yeah, well, the the money, 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 and the gimme, gimme, gimme comes from my. I think that's probably reminds me of my first wife. Um, but uh, the winner takes all is uh, definitely my song when I when I play that. I think of Don Revy, uh, and mainly the 1970 FA Cup final when it really did take all because. Um, had they beaten us in that 1970 final, which I miss, I don't think we'd have ever heard the last of it from the uh, from those Leeds supporters. And we didn't really rub their noses in it as much as we should have. We we were far too, you know, because we were too busy getting on with life and enjoying ourselves. But uh, that was a most fantastic evening. And I've spoken to Manchester United supporters uh, who said they'd never seen nothing like it out at Old Trafford, you know, Chelsea just took over Manchester, the Chelsea's board took over Manchester that night. And uh, as we did, we had the most unbelievable spirit. We were, I think we were probably second best. We were, we were a long way second best at Wembley. How we got away with a, a draw there was incredible, really. But it was meant to be. But at the end of the day, we were, we were a goal behind on three occasions and come back. We had the heart to come back and... Uh, when they went a goal behind, they, you know, they didn't. So I think deservedly we we won the FA Cup and then went on to win the Cup Winners Cup. But um, yeah, um, I mean that says a lot about that Chelsea team of the seventies, you know. And the one song that um, always reminds you of that Chelsea team of the seventies is um, American Pie, doesn't it? But that was our. That was our. For some reason, it was about at the time, and we when wherever we went on tour. It was, and a long bus trip on tour. That that was uh, that was our signature tune. Yeah, but someone would sit on the bus and start it off, and uh, that 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 remained our song. Yeah, Don McLean, which is a fantastic song. A long, long time ago, I can still remember how that music used to make me smile, and I knew if I had my chance. That I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while But February made me shiver With every paper I'd deliver Bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside the day the music died So bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry And them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye Singing, this'll be the day that I die This'll be the day that I die Did you write the book of love and do you have Dancing in the gym You both kicked off your shoes 
die This will be the day that I die Now for ten years we've been on our own And moss grows fat on a rolling stone But that's not how it used to be When the jester sang for the king and queen In a coat he borrowed from James Dean And a voice that came from you and me King was looking down The jester stole his thorny crown The courtroom was adjourned The day that I die Helter skelter in the summer swelter The birds flew off with a fallout shelter Eight miles high and falling fast Landed foul on the grass The players tried for a forward pass With the jester on the sidelines in a cast Played a marching tune We all got up to dance oh, But we never got the chance Cause the players tried to take the field The marching band refused to yield Do you recall what was revealed the day The music died We started singing Bye-bye, Miss American Clenched in fists of rage No angel born in hell Could break that Satan's spell And as the flames climbed high into the night To light the sacrificial rite I saw Satan laughing with delight The day the music died He was singing bye-bye This American pie 
met a girl who sang the blues And I asked her for some happy news But she just smiled and turned away I went down to the sacred store Where I'd heard the music years before But the man there said the music wouldn't play In the streets the children screamed The lovers cried and the poets dreamed But not a word was spoken The church bells all were broken And the three men I admire most The Father, Son and the Holy Ghost They caught the last train for the coast The day The music died And they were singing Bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee But the levee was dry And them good old boys Were drinking whiskey and rye Singing, this'll be the day that I die This'll be the day that I die They were singing Bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee But the levee was dry Them good old boys Were drinking whiskey and rye Singing this'll be the day that I die Who, sorry, who's the main instigator of starting the songs, the singing of the songs on the bus, Al? So oh, that, well, uh, it would be my, I think it might be my idea, the music, but I, it would be, Oscar would take over. <laughs> he took over everything. Um, and, and in all fairness to him, he could, he, he, he could knock out a tune. He yeah. wasn't too bad at all, you know, uh, as he did with Chirby Chirby Cheap Cheap on, the, on our album. But... Um, it was funny. Our album was also funny because uh, we we got to the recording studio. We'd all been out. We, we took a load of drinks in there and whatever. And then all of a sudden, we we cut half the album. Uh, that's I don't know, it was six, seven, eight songs. And uh, they said you can all go now. And I think the all the 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 people, the sound control people in there, they they finished the second half of the record. They threw us out of the studio, but I was the first one to go. Ozzy, Ozzy threw me out. I, I don't know, probably because I look better than him. And uh, and and your Arsenal years, of course. Um, I, I love I love the story about Baker Street because again, you're a big fan. I mean, that sax on on Baker Street is is phenomenal. And uh, you take up the story because you used to drive down there on the way to uh, to training, didn't you, with Arsenal? Well, I used to go through. I, I used to live in just close to Wimbledon in Southfields and I used to go, have to come through, through through past the Chelsea ground and then go up through um, Swiss Cottage and then get on the A1 but be, just before the A1 I'd, I'd cross over Marylebone Road and go through Baker Street and I'd always have Jerry Rafferty in my car and I'd just put him on and I'd open both windows and uh, and then I'd stop no matter what, even on a green light I'd stop and I'd, see all the foreigners crossing the road and I just blast this song out and basically everybody, everybody will wonder where it's coming from. They thought it was coming from somewhere on the corner, you know, to 
trying to promote Baker Street, but it was coming out of my Toyota. <laughs> so, but I love the song. I mean, I, that, and it, it's, it's a standard, isn't it? I yes. mean, it's one of those songs that, which uh, if you didn't like, then you've got a problem. I think with most of the songs that, that you reference and most of the songs that, that we've talked about on uh, these two programmes so far, we're going to do many, many more. If you don't like them songs, I just don't think you've got a pulse because no matter what your taste is, these are great songs. Yeah, I think, um, uh, you know, people say, people say to me about certain music and I, it might not be your taste or yeah. whatever, but there are, cert, there are certain songs where I think a lot of the songs there that, you know, I, I like songs that some, some are very, very simple, like your song. I mean, your song is a very simple song and, uh, but it's the the lyrics are the marvelous, and to think is it, it was his first song that he'd written, and he was just Reggie the T Boy, and it's it, it was on a show the other night as uh, as the nation's best Elton John song is quite remarkable when you you look at how many albums he's done, how many songs he's written, how many songs he's sung, uh, and all great songs. I don't think it, you always judge an artist and. You know, like when I was playing football, I used, you could judge me on... I always say to be a great footballer, it's all about consistency. Yeah. And I think that, that works in every walk of life. And I think uh, Elton John's music over five, four or five decades is consistently brilliant. And uh, you, can only, you can only say, well, you can't argue with that mm. because uh, everything he does is just uh, sublime. And, uh, and when you've... If you'd have said... Back then, in 1969, in, in, when he was a T-boy, that he was going to do one of the greatest songs ever for Disney. You know, it's just mind-boggling, really. It is, and you don't know what's around the corner in life. There's always things that are, that are there to, to surprise you, to shock you, to inspire you, to lift you up, yes. to knock you down. And in terms of Alton, it, 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 must be, it must be very difficult when he's doing a concert what songs to actually leave out as to like what songs he's going to put in his set these days. Well, that's, it. that's the only thing about yeah. music which uh, that I find quite amazing is uh, it, it's, they're so... You know, fans go there. They want to listen to certain songs. You know, on one, on one I, I know that someone told me that Frank Sinatra hated singing my way, but he had to sing it because that they, you know, they called it in America. They called it the national anthem. Yeah. Um, but it, it, you know, to to go after go being a footballer, I mean, it's all off the cuff, isn't it? Yep. You know, you although you, I wouldn't say you plan matches, but no, it's off the cuff. But uh, uh, I'm sure to go on stage and do a, a tour and have to sing the same songs every night would drive me potty. I think you're right. And, and like when, when people say, well, you must practice. If you're a footballer, you must practice. What do you do in training all day if you don't practice? So you must... but, but you're right. You work on certain things. You can work on set play. You can work on restarts. You can work on organisation. But when you're actually playing football, it's very much spontaneous. And and I've always said that if you've got a regular one to eleven, you are almost telepathic, like you and Greenough was, like you and Osgood were. You 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 work on that. It just, well, you work on it, yeah. But it does come natural as well to some players, doesn't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, you've in in the modern game, uh, you you only got to look at Barcelona and uh, 
all right, they were brought up as through the youth team or whatever. They played together for so long. That that is what the game's all about. And then you got a, a, a Marino who brings in so many different players, and he, he gets no there's no co- co- coordination there. There's no yeah. there's no you cannot be a team that's playing together week in week out, and, and it, it's just become second knowledge with you when you're passing the ball. You watch Barcelona and they know each other, where each other are and the, what passes next and everything else. They, like in snooker, they say snooker players, you know, they know three shots ahead or yeah. four shots ahead. Well, that's like Barcelona. You know, uh, Messi, Messi knows where the ball's going three, three passes beforehand. Uh, but they, they, again, genius, you know. Yeah. But uh, as I've always said, you can't coach that, and it's uncoachable. But um, uh, we're, we're lucky enough to be able to see that. And that's why you loved Don Howe as a coach, because you didn't like coaches. And I don't think any of our Maverick players did like coaches. But he just organised the back four and allowed you to express yourself. And that's a way that you can set a team up for me. Yeah, I think uh, the thing I loved about Don from day one is he um, he just came in and, I mean, he took a ship that, that was going to sink and uh, and how could this ship sink with so many talented players in it? You know, the likes of Liam Brady, who was one of the greatest all-time players. You know, uh, how could this ship be down at the bottom, you know, and, and close to sinking? And... Uh, Don come in and steadied the ship and brought a bit of sanity back into the game and said, look, you know, we just got to do all the right things. And Don was a very simple man, very simple coach. You know, the simplicity is genius comes in. And uh, he didn't ask anybody to do what they couldn't do. Um, 